it's a wild reality that February is, it's almost like it needs to be rebranded. I mean, it, it, it's not National Signing Day anymore. The voice you just heard is Josh McQuestion, co-publisher of Soonerscoop.com and veteran in the OU football recruiting game. Wednesday was National Signing Day, or at least what's left of it. The December early signing period, which the NCAA adopted in 2017, has made the traditional signing day that always falls on the first Wednesday of February an afterthought to the Blue Bloods of college football. Good morning, friends. My name is Joe Bettner, sports editor for the Norman Transcript, and this is Sooner Sunrise. All right, good to see everybody. It's been a while. Uh, you know, definitely a, a, a different type of uh, signing day than, than we've all been, you know, accustomed to through the years. Obviously, obviously, so much has changed, and uh, but regardless of that, we're you know excited about where this team's headed. On a day that's typically stolen sleep from McQuishan and kept him busy for 12 consecutive hours, was as quiet as he can remember, because Lincoln Riley's program didn't have anyone to sign. They didn't even send out one letter of intent. It's hard whether or not to expect the first Wednesday of February to always be like this, but there are plenty of reasons why the proper National Signing Day wasn't observed in Norman, Oklahoma this year. Reasons that Josh can better explain than myself. Oklahoma signed 16 players in its 2021 recruiting class, which is a relatively low figure, especially for a team that finished in the top 15 of the national recruiting rankings. For example, Alabama signed 27 players, Ohio State had 21, Oregon and Texas A&M each had 23, LSU had 22, and Georgia 20. That's actually the order of the Rivals.com team recruiting rankings. Go figure, Alabama isn't just number one on the field. OU played the game a bit differently this recruiting cycle, or at least adjusted as plans fell through and new options became available. Before we get into Lincoln Riley's chess moves, let's start with a simple fact. Recruiting has been as strange as ever during the COVID-19 pandemic. Coaches haven't hosted recruits in person or gone to a visit a player's home since the NCAA implemented a dead period last March, making for some unique introductions for early enrollees such as Nathan Rollins Cabange, a four-star defensive end from Portland, Oregon, that never got to meet Riley, not even before signing his national letter of intent. No, he met Riley for the first time when he moved to campus this past January. Even though some of these guys have been committed for a while, we've known them, and we haven't seen these guys. I mean, when they walked in our indoor the other day when they moved in, it was honestly a strange feeling, like actually seeing somebody in the flesh. I mean, it's uh, hard to explain, but yeah, it was. Uh, and then a couple of people, I mean, you know, like, like NRK, I mean, we never met him before. That's the first time I've ever met him, so when he's moving in, several, uh, several, you know, family members of, of a couple of the kids that I had had a chance to meet. First time I ever met them, you know, it was moving day. With all that in mind, OU was forced to be selective with who it wanted to sign if it wasn't going to be able to see them in person or gamble on a kid that might look good on video but wouldn't in a normal year check the boxes of OU's coaching staff. And the players OU did like enough to sign, it got in December, which is no offense to the players that inked their NLI on Wednesday, but as the early period becomes more the flagship day for recruiting, the evaluation process has moved up with it, making less signatures in February a new reality for the programs actually competing for championships. 
you know, you look at some of the, the players that Oklahoma got late in the game, and you say, oh, well, that's amazing. But even as the years have gone on, I mean, it just hasn't been – it's becoming more and more the norm where guys are, you know, done with the process at a – at a much earlier rate, you know, I mean, you're, you're not having these, there's not many guys, like I said, that are waiting around for signing day. So you've got, I, I think that's exactly what Oklahoma's thought process was. It was, okay, maybe, you know, in a case like uh, Key Lawrence, they recruited him, they knew him, they went to his school, they talked to his coaches, they met his family. They know him better than some safety from, Georgia or some safety from California that they like on tape and they talk to on the phone a few times, but they don't have any real relationship with him. They don't know him. They don't know his backstory and what his, you know, when we ask a serious question about him and his character, what does his coach say about him when we look him in the eye? I mean, stuff like that. Like it it sounds cheesy and hokey, but it's part of an evaluation process because you're betting huge on these kids and you can't afford to be wrong. Quick break to tell you about the Norman Transcript newspaper, which offers a variety of news information, features, analysis, and opinions on the Oklahoma Sooners and its athletic programs. The Norman Transcript covers the city of Norman at large, its schools, and everything else in between. If you would like to start a subscription and support local journalism, please visit normantranscript.com slash subscriptions. You can access the transcript from wherever you are for as low as $16 a month for total digital access to the paper. Once again, that's normantranscript.com slash subscriptions. And now back to the podcast. The player that Josh refers to as Key Lawrence is Keyshawn Lawrence, the Tennessee safety that transferred to Oklahoma, along with Tennessee offensive tackle Wanye Morris and Tennessee running back Eric Gray. While the Tennessee exodus to Norman looks a little bit strange on paper, it makes a lot of sense to OU. Both Morris and Lawrence were players that Oklahoma recruited coming out of high school and were able to pick those relationships back up once they hit the NCAA transfer portal. Both filled major needs on Oklahoma's roster for a team that needed offensive line help after Adrian Ely and Creed Humphrey declared for the NFL draft. When Trey Norwood and Trey Brown both declared for the NFL draft, they needed help in the secondary. And with Oklahoma losing Ramondre Stevenson, they needed another running back to put alongside Kennedy Brooks, who opted out for the 2020 season, but will be back next year, as well as Seth McGowan and Marcus Major, who played sparingly. So, while it might seem like OU is ruthlessly raiding the Tennessee roster, they wanted those guys, mainly because they're more of a sure bet than a high school kid that they would have never gotten the chance to see play as seniors in high school, meet them in person, or even bring them onto campus from the time that the early signing period ended to February 3rd. So I think it allows a lot of wiggle room, plus you have an extra data point. You're not talking about, oh, this kid's really good against private school football in Pennsylvania. This is a kid that's played SEC football. I mean, Key Lawrence, Wani Morris, like you go down the list, those guys have played against high-level competition. You have tape you can watch. And it's, uh, especially, you know, on this case, an example like Wanya Morris, he's not going against 200-pound high school kids. He's going against SEC defensive linemen 
you know what you're getting, you know what you have to work with, and you get to build from there. So I, I think that's absolutely the case. You just have more information on these guys, and in most cases, they've got two or three years left. I mean, so it's not like you're just taking a one-off guy with you know maybe the exception of Big Cat Bryant, depending on what he finally does. So there, there's a lot in play, but at the same time, I, like I said, I think it's just a gamble with with less risk Plus, I think it aids them more in 2021, which I think we all know is something OU's kind of circled as maybe this could be a special team. Perhaps Oklahoma will contend for a national championship this next season. I mean, they've got all the momentum in the world after humiliating Florida in the Cotton Bowl Classic on December 30th. Now, if you don't follow Josh, this man consumes probably more OU football than anyone outside the program. He covers their recruiting efforts 365 days a year, watches all the games, watches them a second time, breaks down the film, and reports it back to his subscribers, which, by the way, we can't recommend Soonerscoop.com enough. I had to ask Josh point blank, can this be a special team for Oklahoma? I really do. I mean, you know, you look at it and really, you know, as much a loss as Ronnie Perkins was, the one that I thought hurt the most was Ramondre Stevenson, just because... With Ronnie, they've got enough defensive linemen. They've got guys who can create pressure. They can do some things. They don't have a guy that I would say is as good as Ronnie. But at the same time, you get Jalen Redmond back. And a lot of people forget. I think you can make a pretty good case that in 2019, Jalen Redmond had a better year than Ronnie Perkins did. Um, so I, I think that, that that's worth looking at considering. And, you know, Redmond did some of that while kind of working through nagging injuries and that kind of stuff. So he's a special player that you get back. You get a healthy Laurent Stokes back. I mean, that defensive line group should be very good. What I'm concerned about is running back. I don't know if you've got that guy that in a national final, national semifinal, is the guy that can go grind out 95 yards for you. I mean, I'm not talking about... They don't have a guy that's going to go for 180 against, you know, an elite defense. But they they need that guy that can get four yards when they need it, can get the five yards, is, is going to pick up the first downs in the tough situations. I don't know if that guy's there. He might be. I think Seth McGowan's extremely talented. I think Marcus Major has shown flashes. Obviously, Kennedy Brooks has been wildly productive. Uh, we'll, we'll see what they have in Eric Gray. I think he's going to be more of a – kind of a utility guy that can use him in a lot of ways, going to be very skilled as a receiver. Um, and I, I, like I said, I like some of the things. I, I like the pieces of all the guys, but it's going to be about can all those guys come together and kind of build out what they need from an entire running back. I mean, can they can all those pieces kind of equal one full guy that can be as, as talented as they need someone to be? Now, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that Oklahoma might not have needed all of these players that transferred in from the Tennessee trio to Penn State quarterback Micah Bowens to Arizona offensive guard Robert Conjol. The Sooners were locked into multiple heated recruiting battles during the month of December and things didn't quite go Oklahoma's way. The Sooners were in on five-star Emeka Igbuke from Washington, who committed to Ohio State. They were in on Bryce Foster, a five-star offensive guard from Katy, Texas, that went to Texas A&M. They were in on Tristan Lee, a five-star offensive tackle, who ended up at Clemson. And five-star running back Kamara Wheaton from Garland, Texas, who went to Alabama. 
to get all of those guys who rank in the top 30 of the class of 2021, according to Rivals.com, would have just been unprecedented for a team like Oklahoma. A team like anyone, if you're not named Alabama. But the Sooners couldn't close on those prospects, still landing a top 15 class and undoubtedly making up some huge ground in the transfer portal. But as I spoke with Josh, I had to wonder, despite all of their efforts within the transfer market, was the end of this recruiting cycle a letdown for Oklahoma? Oh, I think you have to say it was. I mean, you know, because it's funny, Joe, we're sitting there, you know, and you mentioned it a little while ago, like, oh, who, who could ever expect to land all those guys? At one point, I thought OU was going to land all four of those guys. Uh, you know, Emeka Ibuka, Tristan Lee, uh, and I mean, and they did get Savion Bird there at the end. And then, you, you know, obviously you throw in Kamar Wheaton and um, Bryce Foster. I mean, but at the same time, until they, you know, if they don't sign it, that, that's great to finish, you know, in the in the money, so to speak. But this isn't horse racing. I mean, if you don't win, you've got nothing to show for it. So it is. I mean, it's a little disappointing, um, especially with what when you looked at it in late October, early November, and you thought of an offensive line class that could have Colin Montgomery, he's a good, solid guy, really fits Bill Beatonbow well, and then you throw in Savion Bird, Tristan Lee, and Bryce Foster. I mean, you're talking about three of the most highly rated offensive linemen Bill Beatonbow would have ever signed, all in the same class, and probably superseded the class that was before them with Andrew Rame and Noah Nelson and Anton Harrison, who everybody has you know, seen and been impressed by as a young player. Those guys were all more well-regarded than the guys that preceded them. So it gives you an indication of what you know might have been possible. And it didn't break OU's way. And I, I think the problem that I, would, that I really want people to think about, you look at Oklahoma's team recruiting ranking right now, which is 13, with 16 total commitments. I need to go back and check those numbers, but I would bet you it has been years, probably a decade or more, since a team finished that high in the recruiting rankings with 16 commitments or 16 signees. That does not happen. I mean, you, you know, Oklahoma's ahead of Wisconsin with 21, North Carolina and Texas with 19 and 21 themselves, Tennessee with 21. OU's ahead of all those schools, and right on the heels of Miami, Florida, and Notre Dame, which Notre Dame signed 27 players and had about 200 more rivals points than Oklahoma. I mean, it just it's staggering how good this class is. That it's just not huge on numbers, which to me is fine if you can make it up in 2022. You've got to you've got to correct in 2022 and have that big class that has good depth, not just, you know, we signed 24 guys that we feel pretty good about. You've got to have good players, but with the star power that you have in 2021, if you can build that and make your two deep stronger with your 2022 class, then you're really, you're fine. It's okay. It's just going to be, this puts more pressure on the next group. And now for the most important part of the podcast, breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day. And this being Sooner Sunrise, I had to ask Josh what his favorite breakfast spot is. I would say that probably my favorite place, and I'm a huge fan of the breakfast taco. It's something that 
while I lived in Oklahoma, I wasn't even overly aware it existed other than like a bacon and egg taco. Like I just kind of thought that was it. But living in Houston, there is a great appreciation for this as almost its own food group. And Laredo Taqueria in the Heights area of Houston is my absolute favorite. I had never had barbacoa of any kind before. Had it on a taco, and it is a game-changing experience for anyone who hasn't had it. You can also get the chorizo and egg. Uh, and the fun part about Laredo is it's kind of a soup Nazi situation. Like, the first time you go in, you're going to be intimidated because there's this line, and you step up, and you, you know, I want beans, I don't want beans, I want this, I want that. Like, And the ladies, you know, they speak enough English to do what you need them to do, but you better be very concise in what you say. You, you don't, you know, a little bit of beans or a lot. Of, nope, nope, nope. You get beans or you don't get beans. There, there's no, there's no special order here. So, and then you go through, you pay, and you know you're gone. And um, it, it's absolutely one of my favorite places. That's Josh McQuistion. This has been Sooner Sunrise. And we cannot endorse barbacoa tacos enough on this program. Thanks for listening and making us a part of your day. Make sure to follow Josh on Twitter if you're not already. His Twitter handle is Josh underscore scoop. And check out all of his work on Soonerscoop.com. Once again, my name is Joe Bettner. Sooner Sunrise is available wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you have the Apple Podcast app, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review. It helps out the show tremendously. Until next week, I hope you enjoy the rest of your morning. I'm now going to go drive to my favorite taqueria in Norman, Taqueria Sandadeo.